there are many women who are uh, no longer working at paying jobs because it's just too much to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to do their jobs while their kids are screaming or they need help with their schoolwork and they're the ones that are overseeing it, um, it's just too much. I mean, how many things, you know, how many balls can you juggle? So they end up not working at a paying job. They're working very hard, but not a paying job. And then you have to rely on uh, the husband in a heterosexual relationship. And so, yeah, then you're going to go back more to the traditional roles. This week, 12 scientists and authors looked at 90 research studies and then prognosticated about what marriage would look like in the future. Dr. Karen Sherman is on to discuss their predictions. Also, I want to mention that this episode was recorded in November of 2020, so please keep that in mind as we discuss the state of the pandemic in this episode. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again with the lovely, the brilliant Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. You can find uh, her information at her website, DrKarenSherman.com. Okay, so we are going to talk about how marriage might change in a post-pandemic world. Um, So 12 scientists and authors analyzed 90 research studies, uh, and then they prognosticated on what marriage might look like in the future going forward. Um, I Mm think that was redundant. (laughs) Um, So um, first, planned pregnancies will decrease in a disease-ridden world, birth rates will drop, and many couples will postpone marriage. Thoughts? Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, this pandemic has just wreaked such havoc in everybody's life um, that I really think that, um, especially because I don't know if I want to say the advantage or disadvantage of being able to get the news so easily these days, um, that I think that people are really frightened um, and really are concerned about uh, what the world is going to look like going forward Mm -hmm. um, and are not going to so easily bring children into the world going forward and have the kind of stress that is being caused by the pandemic. Now, will that change if they ran these studies uh, five years from now? Probably. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I think for right now, uh, the next couple of years, we will see that there will be less planned pregnancies and uh, therefore birth rates will drop. And I think that for now, marriages will be postponed as well because really what's you know, what's the need? Mm-hmm. As it is, where a lot of couples are not getting married. They're just living together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have a couple thoughts on this. Um, mm-hmm. First is that this is already happening. Like everything that they're predicting yeah. will happen in a post-pandemic world is already happening. Yes. Um, and this, and when I say it's already happening, not as a result of COVID, but this was happening before COVID ever hit. Right. Birth rates right. were falling. Couples were postponing marriages, planned pregnancies were down. Um, and so like none of this surprises me. The, mm-hmm. the second thing is, um, shoot, now I forgot my second thing. Oh, I know what it was. Um, this also, you, like, you can't disassociate COVID and the disease and the pandemic with the economy. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about um, postponing uh, planned pregnancies, um, you know, you plan pregnancies because not only are you mentally and physically ready to go, but uh, you're financially ready to go. Yes. Like, it, yes, you know, absolutely. And mm-hmm. when you can't afford to feed an extra mouth and take care and clothe and house and all the other stuff, then you would postpone that. That makes sense. And the same thing, you know, with marriage itself, uh, planning weddings, of course, weddings are crazy expensive, um, you know, uh, considering the average Mm -hmm. wedding cost is tens of thousands of dollars now. So, um, we know that you can't get the economy or you can't get, uh, the economy under control and, and revving unless you get COVID under control. So, uh, I just think that a lot of these things that we're going to talk about, uh, you might as well just swap COVID for a completely collapsed economy because that's really, Mm -hmm. you know, 2020 has been such a, uh, cluster that I think some people forget how bad the economy is. And I think it gets a pass sometimes because like, well, we just kind of like turned off the switch. And so we're just going to turn it on. It's going to be okay. But we know that's not true. We know that there are permanent job losses. We know that particularly women um, have already resigned to leave the workforce indefinitely. Um, Like there's just so much long-term damage to the economy that yes, when we can flip the switch, some things will come back. Um, but we are at historic uh, job loss numbers and a fundamental shift in the economy that I don't think uh, we have reckoned with. And I think part of it's because there's so much other stuff happening that we just, it's like, you know, we'll get to it when the other fires are put out. Well, yes, but you see, and I, I didn't really want to make this a political discussion. Uh, so I'll try to veer away from that. But, you know, it's like chicken or egg. So there are some people who are saying, well, yes, you're absolutely right, Steve. We've got to get the economy back open again. The problem is that if we open the nation, then we expose ourselves to other people and more people get sick. Mm -hmm. So do you, do we all say, okay, let's really do this thing and really be very careful and not take all these risks and 
you know, it's going to stink for a period of time, but then everybody can really get back in again. Um, and it's going to mean closing down businesses for a while, but in the long run, it's penny wise and dollar foolish to open everything up and then eventually have everybody infecting each other. And then in the long run, it's going to really have a much longer deleterious effect. So it's really hard. You know, it's really hard. Um, I can understand why people see it. My personal opinion is you do what you have to do to prevent the pandemic from spreading. I understand other people are saying, no, 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 you have to get everything back open again. But at what risk? Well, not only, so, I, yeah. And I'll just add yeah. to that really quick. Um, we, so first and foremost, like we have a very myopic view in the United States about what we can and should be doing as if the mm-hmm. rest of the world hasn't already done things and opened mm-hmm. things up after they got it under control and they're doing better. Like it's just a fact statistically across mm-hmm. the board, they're doing better um, economically and with the the piling death toll. Second is um, consumer confidence. Um, when when a pandemic is raging, and even in places where uh, they didn't have strict shutdown orders, mask requirements, social distancing requirements, people were not going out. People were still, you know, people would say whatever they wanted to on social media, but when you looked at the actual data, they mm-hmm. were practicing some of these things. Mm-hmm. And so people can say whatever they want about like open things up and like, you know, get the bit, but you can't do that when people don't have confidence. And we saw that even with all the rhetoric that was um, going out there, that people, um, even in the most ardent areas of you're not going to suppress my freedoms, I'm not going to wear a mask, I'm going to go out and do what I want. Those places were not having the foot traffic that you would expect to see if they were actually practicing what they were preaching. So it all comes back down to confidence and you cannot gain that confidence without having a pandemic that's mildly under control and hopefully we'll get there sooner rather than later. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, I'll move on to number two. Okay. <laughs> uh, people who are single are less likely to start new relationships. Women who can afford to be on their own are likely to stay single longer. Um, again, this is already a trend. So why do you think the researchers believe that the pandemic would exacerbate this scenario? Well, first of all, you know, the, to me, the most obvious is it's hard to start relationships right now. I mean, not that people aren't doing it, mm-hmm. but it, it is more difficult. Um, the other thing is that, you know, I think, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on, that a lot of the burden of this pandemic has fallen onto women. So if they have a relationship and then they do have children, they end up being the ones that are really carrying the brunt of the responsibility. And so they're giving up more. Um, And so, you know, why, you know, uh, get strapped (laughs) into a relationship and all that responsibility, uh, especially if you can manage on your own? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't agree? No, no, no. I totally agree. I mean, it's, okay. it's, uh, it's like what, I mean, basically what we were just talking about, it's when you think about like, where, where did people meet people, bars, social gatherings, parties, right. Right. 
<laughs> you know, we're coming up on the holiday season here as we record this and, um, you know, you're not going to be going to your Christmas party or whatever party, right. uh, where Correct. you might bump into somebody. And so instead we're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to watch it play out on Netflix holiday movies. <laughs> so. Yeah. You can't, you can't even go to a family dinner where your mother invites an right. eligible person, right. you know, like, oh, well he had nowhere to go. <laughs> right, right, right. So, okay. um, and I do think it's funny and interesting that they highlight, uh, in this study, single women and not single men. I think that's kind of interesting. That the- well, because again, as I said, and, and I know that that's going to be part of your next question, I think that what we have been hearing over and over again is how much of the homeschooling and the taking care of the children and the responsibilities and everything are falling on women. So who wants to go back there? Right. You know, we had just gotten to the point where it was partnership and, you know, men helping around the house and men helping with children and everything. And that's not happening as much anymore because right. of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like if you're going to talk about single women are going to stay single longer. And I get that many single women could be parents as well. Um, but just in, in general, I would think like in the aggregate that should also apply to men because the same forces outside of parenting, obviously, um, although they should be involved, but outside of that, like the same forces that keep them apart, they're not able to go to the dinner and meet the girl that the, the, their mother's trying to set them up with either. So, um, anyways, that, that was the only thing I wanted to add, um, with children home due to the pandemic, and this is what we were just talking about, women are spending mm-hmm. more time providing childcare and schooling and less time available for paying work and may come to rely more on their male partners as breadwinners. We're obviously talking about heterosexual couples here. Um, mm-hmm. This will push uh, us toward a socially conservative gender norms and potentially result in a backslide in the gender equality yeah. that you were just talking about. So you think that's yes. kind of an inevitability? Well, I think that it's certainly going to shift us that way. I don't think that that's going to be something that's going to ha- uh, be the forever, but I think that we're going to backslide and it's going to take a while to come back out of it. Just like when you were saying, you know, the economy is in bad shape, it's going to take a while to recover from that. So I think that um, there are many women who are. Uh, no longer working at paying jobs because it's just too much to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to do their jobs while their kids are screaming or they need help with their schoolwork and they're the ones that are overseeing it, um, it's just too much. I mean, how many things, you know, how many balls can you juggle? So they end up not working at a paying job. They're working very hard, but not a paying job. And then you have to rely on uh, the husband in a heterosexual relationship. And so, yeah, then you're going to go back more to the traditional roles. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, This next one I think is interesting. So the pandemic, this is from the researchers, the pandemic is not bringing people closer together. And uh, despite some exceptions, it's not producing an increase in kindness, empathy, or compassion, especially in the U S So my question for you is, do you think this is actually um, 
something related to the pandemic or do you think this is more political? uh, So it's politics over science. I think it's due to a couple of reasons. Um, I certainly would never want to give up my democratic freedoms. That being said, I said early on, in my opinion, I think that our democracy is doing us in when it comes to the pandemic, because many people are taking the suggestions or the mandates to wear a mask, to stay socially distant, to keep washing your hands as having their freedoms impinged upon. And people don't like that, and so they're not going along with it. Um, In other countries, um, they're being told this is what you do, and they do it. Yeah. And they're accustomed to being uh, doing what they're told to do. And therefore, uh, they're able to get control over the pandemic much quicker than we are. We, our numbers are getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and so I think that has a lot to do with um, what's going on in the United States. Mm-hmm. I think then what happens is we end up having these two very diverse groups one who feels it's absolutely essential that we go along with these suggestions and the others who feel, don't tell me what to do. It's, you know, you're really um, taking away my freedoms. And that is a lot of what is causing this anger, this resentment, the hostility, the feeling that you're not understanding me, um, the fear that is going on. Mm -hmm. And um, I also think that unfortunately, this is not going to be a shock to anybody, Mm -hmm. that our politics, uh, we have never seen such divisiveness in our country. Um, And, you know, even the presidential race, Um, it's a very clear, um, the race was very close as far as the fact that we are so separated, but yet such large numbers on both sides. I think what also makes things very difficult is social media. Um, there's a lot of misinformation that goes out on social media from all different sources and people run with it. Um, and I think that that is also, um, what is adding fuel to the fire. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry to sound so glib, but I think that that's another factor (laughs) in what is, um, making all of this worse. (laughs) You're actually more chipper about this than I am. (laughs) Mm. I, I'm just sounding that way. I'm not chipper at all. I'm uh, extremely upset. Yeah, no, I, um, I, the, the idea that, uh, we are some sort of special democracy where people can infringe on our freedoms, Mm -hmm. I think is a totally made up construct because, um, we are not the only democracy or free country on the planet. Like, in fact, true. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are, I don't know the real numbers, but like uh, over a hundred, like, I mean, most countries in the, on the planet are free. 
And we Mm -hmm. have this very, we are in a very unique situation where we are. And I would venture to guess that 80 to 90% of our problem is um, political. Um, I do think there's something to be said about the culture of American society, of our Mm -hmm. uh, rebel streak that we have within us. I mean, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. kind of how we were founded is we were the, yes. the, the rebels and the outlaws who said, no, we're not going to put up with, mm-hmm. um, you know, our foreign overlords. So, um, I do think there is some of that. I absolutely do think there's some of that, but then I think with our current present political system, we have dumped gasoline on it and oh. we, we dumped gasoline on it. And then we put uh, blow torches on that. And then we put some flames on that or uh, fans on that. And we have just tried to do, and, you know, use social media and whatever else you want as the metaphors for all this stuff. But, um, we're not, we're not special. We're not unique. I think the way that we're handling this is uniquely sad and shocking. Um, and you know, maybe by the time this podcast actually goes out, things will have changed a little bit and the, and cooler heads will have prevailed and things will have tempered down and simmered down a little bit. Um, that's my hope. I don't know, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think this is like 100% avoidable what we're dealing with now because you have active people in leadership actively saying to do go, go basically actively saying, go against the scientific evidence and the research Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. not just here locally, not what just our scientists say, but global scientists are saying. And, um, you know, like I try not to make it political, but, uh, it, you can't separate it. Like you really honestly can't separate it. And I think, uh, like me personally, I've just gotten to the point where if I can't stand and, say my, how I feel about things I know to be true and actual facts with, I'm, you can back it up with just tons of studies. Um, I mean, this is what we do on here is we talk about studies and research all the time. And like, I'm, I'm all for picking apart studies. We do it every week. Um, but the, but the evidence is overwhelming about what we're dealing with and how to prevent it. And you can't look at a country where they have a death count uh, for the entire pandemic that's, you know, getting close to 10 to 12 months now that we get in a day and they've had that death count for a full year. So mm-hmm. it, I don't know how you even begin to make that argument anymore. It's like that conversation, as far as I'm concerned, is over. So anyways, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more, um, I'm optimistic now. I'm optimistic now. Uh, I should note that we are recording this after the election, um, after Biden has been declared the winner. Uh, and again, not to be political about it, but I am more optimistic now. He's already named his COVID task force team, which is made up of essentially like all doctors and scientists. So that's good. <laughs> um, okay. So then our last one, Karen, is that, and I'm going to quote the researchers here. They say, quote, our species is not wired for seeking a precise understanding of the world as it actually is, unquote. Uh, going on to say that our tribal predispositions toward groupthink are resulting in the large-scale spread of misinformation and that we tend to seek out data that supports our opinions and we too often distrust health experts. Um, this, again, is cor- according to these researchers. 
They also added that the longer the pandemic lasts, the more entrenched in these uh, changes we are likely to hold. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, let's explain uh, what groupthink is, okay? okay? Because I think, you know, that's a, a psychological term and some people may not know what it is. But basically, when you belong to a certain group and you have certain beliefs, um then you go along with whatever it is that your group thinks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, simple analogy, um, if you're um, playing a team sport and you're in one high school and let's say your high school is blue and the other high school is uh, yellow, you're going to, when the ref calls something uh, and he calls it for blue, you're going to cheer and the other team is going to say, no, no, no. Um, because it's against them. So they're going to say no. So you're going to agree with whatever it is that supports uh, the way your uh, group is thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think in part this goes to um, the great divisiveness that we have in our country now. The fact that people don't do a lot of reading Uh, They don't look up the studies. They don't take the time to actually hear the facts um, and learn about the facts. And um, I'll I'll give a really quick example, okay, Mm -hmm. that that actually happened to me. There's somebody in my community who is very outspoken. And um, when they speak out, they speak out um, in a very attacking fashion. And at one point, she was speaking to me about the Black Lives Matter uh, website. And she said, I will never support Black Lives Matter. And I said, why? And she on and on and on. And she said, and they're anti-Semitic. And, you know, they, you think that they're X, Y, and Z, but they're really not. And I said, I, I, I was like flabbergasted. And she said, go read the philosophy of the Black Lives Matter. You have to read it. Mm-hmm. And she does a lot of research. So I thought, okay, you know, mm-hmm. uh, let me look for myself. Well, when I looked for myself, it turned out that it is exactly what they are supposed to be. And it, down in the corner, there's a little thing that says there is another website that says they are Black Lives Matter, that is not Black Lives Matter. And when you go to that website, it's the one that she was talking about. Mm -hmm. The point is this particular person is very um, (sighs) skewed in the direction of Judaism and um, anti-Semitism. And by the way, so am I. Mm-hmm. However, it is such a um, slanted version and so uh, blinding that she only sees things in the way that she wants to see them and she doesn't search for other things or take other things in. This anyway, is, Actually, this gets into what the researcher said, which is that, the, that um, we tend to seek out data that supports our opinions. That's so, correct. Rather than trying to find the official Black Lives Matter site, they probably searched for Black Lives Matter and some sort of like anti-Semitic thing that got them on the fake one. Right. Okay. So the point is that it's, it's, 
you know, we are overwhelmed today with a huge amount of information coming at us. Most of us spend hours on social media. And so if we see something that looks like what we already believe, we run with it. And we don't look to see, wait a minute, is there another opinion? Is there something I'm not looking for? I will tell you, and I mean, I'm going to be very frank here, Steve, because this is your show. I held off speaking out as blatantly as I might have about my opinion. But if you were speaking blatantly, I'm going to speak blatantly. (laughs) So uh, you and I are on the same page as far as as our beliefs. Mm -hmm. When, When I watch TV, I tend to watch CNN and MSNBC. Mm-hmm. However, I also watch Fox because I want to hear what Fox is saying. I don't want to be slanted only in the way that I think. But if you ask people who watch Fox News, do you ever turn into CNN or MSNBC? Now, nah. why would I watch the Clinton uh, network, whatever, whatever right. nickname they gave it? Right. And I think it's important for people to open up to all sorts of information because how are we ever going to understand each other? If what I see in marriages is a lack of communication, which really boils down to not hearing each other, mm-hmm. not understanding each other, not being able to recognize the needs that your partner has and therefore not being being able to show kindness to each other and understanding that how are we going to do it in our society? Mm-hmm. And so what we really need is to be able to listen and hear all the information, not just run with, there was a photo of when Biden was doing one of the debates that he had some kind of device under his cuff that he was getting signals Mm -hmm. about what he should say and something that was in his ear where he was being told what to say. That was photoshopped. Mm -hmm. And yet there were people who were showing that photo and saying, can you believe this? Can you believe this? He can't even speak. He really is inept. I mean, really? I, yeah. So this actually, um, the hearing people, I think, is extremely important, and this gets into one of the other big things that I think we need to deal with and reckon with is media literacy. And yes, um, I I say this in sincerity as not a put down on anybody because I think um, people immediately recoil when they hear that because it feels like an attack or a slant on um, the need for it. But um, we're, we're living in a new time. We're getting information delivered in new ways and distribution models um, that have never been used on the human species before. Yeah. And I think people need to be humbled by the fact that uh, this is not a piece of static paper showing up on your doorstep and you read it and the next door neighbor next to you reads their copy of it and it's all the same. What we are getting is completely different information, even from the same sources. Um, and I don't think people recognize that yet. And not only that, but the way that it's presented 
Um, there were used to be just a handful of gatekeepers that would deliver information to us. And now anybody, anybody Mm -hmm. can deliver that information, whether they live within these borders or not. And so I think it's really important that we address and tackle media literacy. Um, And one other thing that I wanted to bring up about what you were talking about, about people having these beliefs and things and how to move forward Um, In economics, there is a theory that is called the sunk cost fallacy. And basically what it is, is you have invested so much into something that it's, it's, you're at the point of no return. You have to keep investing, Mm -hmm. even though it's a losing cause. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think we have hit that point where people need to wake up and recognize uh, a part of this sunk cost fallacy of this, you know, they might have been going down the wrong path. And to your point, uh, continuing to perpetuate and distribute false information. Um, it, it, it's no longer useful. So they need to like rein it in and just acknowledge that like I was duped. It's totally fine. Uh, a lot of millions of people get duped all the time every day. So it's time to like wake up and see, um, what it is and, you know, pull your chips off the table. Yeah, but then, Steve, you get into a concept in psychology called cognitive dissonance, where it creates so much inner conflict when you have two opposing thoughts that you have to somehow make it right. And unfortunately, a lot of times the way you make it right is to just say, uh, no, when that person was giving me information, they were wrong. Mm-hmm. So how do, we, how do we bridge that then? Well, I personally, I I don't know quite how we're going to do this, but I think that if we could really say, okay, we're we're really in trouble here in Mm -hmm. our country, and you you know, I often have said in other podcasts that you can't change something unless you're aware. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take it a step further. You have to be aware. And you have to want to make the change. And so if we say, okay, you know, clearly we have a lot of difference of opinion. How do we go about, we want it to be different. We want there to be decency and kindness again. How do we go about, you know, doing that? Unfortunately, there are certain factors in our society whose philosophy and goals are not kindness and decency. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary factor. So that's I, a very scary factor. Yeah, I actually have a something I've been thinking about. So like I said, we were recording this about a week after Biden was declared victorious. Um, Trump has yet to concede as we record this. And the the thing that I've been thinking about is and I'm curious your thought, if people will change their mind. So we've now had um, the current presidency, uh, the current Trump presidency running the pandemic response for almost a Mm -hmm. year now. Mm -hmm. And we see where we are. If uh, and when Joe Biden takes over in January, um, obviously a vaccine will change the whole ballgame. 
but barring the vaccine being widely distributed in any kind of like immediate time frame, being able to get control of the virus with a national COVID response plan, which we, I want to mm-hmm. point out, we still in November of 2020 do not have a national COVID mm-hmm. response plan. If Biden mm-hmm. is able to get that out and, and the big caveat here is people follow it because I still don't know if people will actually follow it. If mm-hmm. it is coming from the top and it's on mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. other team, if you were, yeah. um, if people did follow it and, and the numbers dramatically precipitously dropped, um, and with that drop came opening up some venues that were previously closed because the scare of infection and widespread community infection, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if that would actually change some of the rhetoric that we hear and get people to like calm down as if the other side isn't trying to just like destroy the Trump presidency, but it might've actually been about health and safety the entire time. It's a tough one, Steve. First of all, there's a lot of ifs in your statement. <laughs> That's true. There were a lot of ifs. And number two, from everything I've been reading, um, the era of Trumpism is going to continue regardless of whether he's president or not. Um, there's a lot of factors that allowed him to be as popular as he was. Um And again, a lot of people can't just say, oh, okay, we made a mistake and, you know, now we see, we see the light that things are okay. So they're, they're going to perhaps look for other things. Um, You sound more optimistic than, than I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you and I always talk for a few minutes before we start the podcast. I... I'm, you know, and I said to you, I'm not breathing yet because of everything that's going on right. as to whether, in fact, the inauguration will take place the way it should. I think there's still a lot of unknowns. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least, that I think um, the manner in which the one of the things I remember from an inauguration a couple of years ago is that one of the commentators said, and that's the beauty of America. We make a transition and everything is peaceful. Mm-hmm. That can't be said anymore. So I'm sorry to leave this on a down <laughs> note, but I will, yes, uh, I will say, um, I'll try to, I'll try to spin it a little more optimistically. I don't know if, if you read the hitched newsletter, but I did an editor's note this week where, um, I basically talked about grief and how mm-hmm. I feel like half the country, and I think it's important that um, all Americans recognize this, whether you're on the receiving end or uh, on, on either political party or spectrum yeah. or no political affiliation for that matter, that a, we now know 70 million people voted for Trump. That means 70 million people in some shape or form are dealing with grief. And mm-hmm. we have to recognize it as grief. It is a loss. And they're going through the five stages of grief And, you know, before they can get to that acceptance, there is going to be the anger. There's going to be the sadness. There's going to be the bargaining. Um, And we have to recognize those stages. And I think when we do that, we might be a little bit more empathetic 
as to what they're going through and how we can respond to them as opposed to being reactive toward them. Um, and as time goes on, like I said, that statistic about how many people are now recognizing Joe Biden as the duly, rightly, legally <laughs> elected president-elect, um, I think that number will just get higher and higher as the grief process plays out and they get to that final acceptance stage. Mm-hmm. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, well, with that, Karen, um, we've gone a little bit long on this one. We had a lot of feelings in this episode. Um, and so thank you so much for your time. It is always a pleasure. And I can't wait to do this again very soon. Okay. <laughs> always good right. to join. No, I, you know, this was a rough one. This was a, a rough one, to be honest with you, because um, I, I don't, there's just so much emotionality in the country and I try really hard not to upset people um, and I don't know if people are now like oh you know who needs to listen to this hitched mag what I'm hoping the takeaway will be is not that we are sitting here saying you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong what we're asking or what we're suggesting is please let's start to be more open to each other and be more aware of how different people feel, um, what different facts are, what different um, information we have and to understand their source so that all of us can improve. Um, so that's, that would be what I would add for this week, yeah. Steve. Yeah. Okay. That's great. No, I, I mean, to, uh, you know, I want to, because these podcasts come out sometimes weeks, even months <laughs> after we record them, because I have such a backlog of some of them. And yeah. so I just want to highlight that we are recording this, uh, less than a week from the election. No, it was a week ago to yesterday. Yes. Yeah. It was a week ago yesterday. So things are still raw. Like I said, uh, President Trump has yet to concede the election. Um, and so we, there's still a lot of emotions and feelings because there's still like this cloud of uncertainty. So um, hopefully uh, there's a little bit of grace on how we've discussed this, um, if we've said anything that offended anybody. Um, but it's coming from the heart. And um, I think we all, you know, regardless of what side, I think everybody wants everything to heal because nobody thinks this is a good, uh, conducive environment that's healthy. So, um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. So thank you so much, Karen. Um, I want to give a shout out. So Karen is a practicing psychologist and relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of mindfulness and the art of choice, transform your life. She is also the co-author of marriage magic, find it, keep it and make it last. And as I mentioned at the top, you can get this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. And of course you can find all this information on our website, hitchedmag.com uh you know you, you can also follow us on the socials uh we are on twitter at hitch media we are on uh facebook.com uh, slash hitched um and uh we also have instagram and other stuff uh pinterest but um those are the two ones that we're most active on these days uh i'll ramp up the other ones in a bit so and that'll do it for us until next time take care everybody 
Keep the lights.